Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett, and I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm particularly intrigued by, or actually fascinated, I guess would be a better word, since I've started this podcast, and, you know, and we're coming up on 150 uh, episodes now, um, is the frequency of contacts that I get from publicity firms yeah, saying, here's somebody that you think, uh, that they think I would be interested in having on the show. And probably about 80% of those are uh, kind of a no-go. But every now and then something comes across the transom that is kind of like, how have I not heard of this before? And that's what we're doing today is having a conversation with somebody that when this came across my desk, I went, oh my God, uh, this is a no-brainer. I, I've got to have Joshua on and I've got to talk to him because there's a language that's being spoken here that my heart just opens up to. And um, my guest today is Joshua Berry. He's the managing director and co-founder of a company called Econic, which is a strategy, you know, strategy consulting firm. I'm going to just be real simple with it. Strategy consulting firm. It's a certified B Corp. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But Josh is, and Joshua's got a, a new book that uh, is coming out called Dare to be Naive. And this is one of the things that uh, captured my attention. Dare to be naive, thinking bigger to create business success and joy. And the use of the word naive in that uh, book title, is kind of like, okay, I got to find out more about what this is about. So I, uh, I spared no expense which is easy to say because there was really no expense involved here, but I spared no expense in making sure I had him on the show. So Joshua, <laughs> welcome. I love it, Blaine. I, I hope I'm your best and cheapest date you've ever had. Right <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the purpose of business, uh, from my perspective, is to uplift the experience of being alive on the planet. Mm -hmm. And if businesses are doing that well, they will never have to worry about making a profit because a profit's necessary. But I, I want to get the horse in front of the cart. And the horse is this notion of thriving. You know, you know, if, if what my service or product is doing is enabling thriving, that's the horse that's going to drive a lot of stuff. So with that as kind of a uh, contextual frame here, um, I want to, you know, first of all, I'm just going to start with a question. Um, yeah, the soul of business, which is the title of you know, the podcast here. When you hear the term the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? What does that bring up? Well, Blaine, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, this is going to be fun. The soul of business, the, the alma, right, of your business is truly the most authentic, innate, natural part of what this business is meant to be. Uh, and um, it's a thing that sometimes gets smothered or covered up, right? I think everybody is trying to do business rather than letting business happen and uh, really be channels for that soul of a business, which is really the people inside of it, to do what they're meant to do and bring into the world. And so uh, I think when people are truly tapping into that soul, they're being able to be their most authentic versions of themselves. And they truly are trying to serve people in an extremely authentic, compassionate way um, so that others can actually see that soul. 
Now, that's a pretty naive uh, position to take. <laughs> I did write a book about being naive, so uh, I, I get a pass on, on that, I think. <laughs> get a pass on that. You know, talk to me a little bit and talk to the audience here a little bit about what do you mean by naive? You know, I mean, can I, it's, it's almost uh, it's, it's almost the same kind of an oxymoron as compassionate capitalism <laughs> seems to be in people's minds. Yeah, business naivete. What, what are you talking about with this? Yeah, uh, I, I will definitely tell you the publisher pushed back on it. They wanted it to be like, be more curious or be a change agent. And uh, what I saw in my research and uh, the successes that I've had in life is a lot of people who, when I talk to them, say, this might sound naive, but, and then share a really deep, maybe profound secret or business practice or story or idea. And I started to, as I was researching the book, dig into why do we stop ourselves from quote unquote being naive? Um, there's a lot of fears. There's a lot of story. Back to what I was saying before, there's a lot of things that get in the way of our soul full, uh, fully coming out and uh, sharing itself with the world. Um, and so as I started to dig into it, what I mean by naive is being curious, uh, but I also mean being authentic or innate. You see, Blaine, the word naive wasn't used in a negative sense uh, with our ancestors. It's only been in the last few hundred years that being naive was a negative thing. Uh, it comes from a root word that means native or innate or that thing which was in you from the start, which pretty much sounds like the soul of business. And so the idea or invitation to dare to be naive is oftentimes daring to make space for that authentic voice to show up. And uh, that's uh, the, the book is really meant to help create that space for people. Now, I, I love I, you know, the epistemology of words has always fascinated me. I love you know, kind of going on that journey. Uh, where did it come from? Um, the idea of naivete in, in that, you know, that's connect, the native. I've never heard it. I mean, I, I never looked that word up. And this is a revelation to me. It's the... I, when I'm talking about compassion, it's predicated on compa uh, connection. Yeah. And, and I will connect the dots here. Uh, <laughs> the idea, I, yeah, I cannot be compassionate you know, about or towards anything unless I feel connected to it. Otherwise, it's just an abstraction. Mm -hmm. But the behavior mm -hmm. of compassionate, behaving compassionately as if I've got your well-being in mind, requires me to tap into something authentic in me that allows the mirror neurons to actually be activated. You know, I see in you what I see in me. I experience there in you, you what I experience in me. And the idea of naivete and being naive, can you, can you kind of close that you know, circle a little bit? Yeah. Uh, where does that kind of authenticity come into? Because really, we're talking about tapping into authenticity. And being willing to be naively authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. What I what I saw and how it connects back to being compassionate is when I started seeing those leaders and hearing their stories that I share in the book, they weren't talking about being naive in an ignorant sense, right? Right. In fact, in fact, what I discuss in the book is there's a chosen naivete that starts to come out. Um, it's actually in one of uh, Richard Rohr's books. Uh, there's a great quote in there that talks about journeying through past uh, rational thinking into a chosen or second naivete. And it's, you know, reminiscent of the, the joy and wonder of your youth, but like embedded in something more mature 
in, in terms of what's known or, or not known. And um, to your point about just connection that's there, I think when people truly stop and they listen into those things, um, they realize that they can act on those beliefs that do desire the better for another person, right? Or or see best in others. I talk quite often to people about overly trusting, being overly generous, all of those things that seem naive, but actually uh, are key to being able to kick off ripples of impact or, or a second type of ROI in life, um, which is very akin to, yeah, I believe, your compassion, compact, uh, capitalism idea. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned uh, Richard Rohr. And for those of you that are listening that are not familiar with Richard Rohr, uh, do a quick search. Uh, you will be fascinated by this uh, gentleman's writings. Um, it is some really, really good stuff. The idea of, of you know, choice. Uh, yeah, I, I love where this is going. Um, it's naive, you know, dare to be naive is to understand the choice. And I'm taking this directly from some cliff notes here that uh, I was provided. Sure. To, to dare, the dare to be naive is to understand the choice we each get to make as leaders and how we can use that choice to perpetuate good. And this form, what I know about the book and what I know about you a little bit here is that doing good is good business. 100%. So, the idea of making it a choice. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, Joshua, let's let me kind of bounce this around with you here. For me, you know, I'll put this in leadership context here. Uh, a business leader, leadership is a spiritual discipline. And, and what I mean by that is I'm always confronting myself. If I'm really understanding what leadership is, I'm always confronting myself. Uh, and, I, you know, and that self comes up in the decisions that, uh, and the choices that I make in service of delivering the goods or services that my organization provides. Now I can make those choices and decisions, you know, with a short-term time frame, or with a much longer-term uh, time frame, which expands the stakeholder groupings that I'm actually, you know, you talk about ripples of effect or, or ripples of impact (ROI) in the work that you do with your clients, and you've got a pretty stellar group of clients uh, you know, with whom you worked. Um, and the Ritz-Carlton stands out particularly for me because I love <laughs> I love staying at the Ritz. I just, I, how do I feel about me when I'm in the presence of your service? <laughs> I feel yeah. like a king. I mean, that kind of a thing. So how do you work with your business leader clients to actually begin to have them appreciate that the naivete of doing good is good for business actually is a relevant business conversation to have. Yeah, I will tell you, it's been easier the last couple of years as there's been a shortage of, of talent, if you will, or people for jobs, yep. right? The people, uh, smart leaders realize they need to be understanding uh, how to serve and, and create you know, very attractive cultures for people to work in. And so sometimes we'll go the statistics route, right? There was a recent survey that showed that 75% of millennials would take a pay cut to work for a more socially responsible business, right? You, you have a large portion of the workforce who is voting quite literally with their pocketbooks and their paychecks of where they want to, where they want to work. But the other things that we've seen is just, um, you know, there are great examples of businesses out there who are choosing to do good, and then it turns out to be good for business. Uh, one of the stories I love to highlight uh, that's that's you know, told better in my book uh, 
was a gentleman back in the 60s and 70s who eventually ended up building uh, the largest outdoor uh, gear and climbing company. And it came to a certain point where they realized that they were causing some extreme damage to the environment. And they had to make a decision to say, do we keep having a profitable business or do we want to stop and pause and not uh, harm the environment? And they ultimately gambled, chose to go by their values or the soul of what they believed and canceled that line of business and promoted a cleaner uh, approach to climbing. You know, eventually, that gentleman, Yvonne Chouinard, renamed the company Patagonia. Yes, Patagonia. And, uh, and there's so many other examples throughout their life uh, and a number of the other companies that I highlight in the business in, in the book of where they said, you know what, we're going to go back to what we believe and especially uh, beliefs around uh, the goodness in people and uh, the worthiness or significance of people. And when we make those decisions and for all of the stakeholders that are around that and hold those up versus, as you said, the short game, uh, it tends out working out uh, quite often in life. You know, you know I want to keep kind of keep on what Eves has done with Patagonia here. I mean, the company's in trust now and there's, and I, you know, there's, there's a very interesting way that he's positioned uh, Patagonia. Um, how, yeah, and I have, and I apologize, I have not read the book. Uh, I didn't have time to get it from Amazon before we start the interview here. So how much detail do you actually go into in the book? Because I've used Patagonia as an example, you know, kind of as an exemplar of compassionate capitalism a number of different times. Um, but I'm hoping that you know, when, in, in the asking yeah. of this question, I'm hoping that there's a couple of nuggets there that I haven't discovered yet that I'm going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Like, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. Hopefully there's more. Uh, there's one of the 16 chapters is devoted to the book, uh, is devoted to those early days at Patagonia. Um, but I set it up in a way, as well as all the other, it's, it's full, the book is full of anecdotes and, and stories. But I use the stories and anecdotes not as a means to say, and this is how you should do business. Uh, the whole book is actually just about helping people be better critical thinkers and learn how to adapt. You know, I, I honestly don't think the world needs another leadership book that says, here's the things you should adopt and here's the five ways of doing this thing. Um, so each of the chapters will get into something like there's a chapter on um, being more transparent with your financials to your employees. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a chapter on allowing side hustles for uh, with your employees. There's one on prioritizing employee growth, even over short-term company growth. There's examples and stories in each of those, just like the Patagonia one. But each chapter ends with inviting the reader into what did what did you believe? You you may have read that, and you may have hated what I put in there. You may have it may have stoked a great idea. What do you believe? Where did you learn that belief? Is it true? And what do you gain and what do you lose by holding that belief? And so it is truly, as we started this episode out, about creating space for people to listen to their authentic voices uh, and understand what decisions they might want to make to be more intentional in their business. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a break right now. When we come back, I want to you know, unbundle that, this last little concept about critical thinking and choice, because I think that there is a gold mine there. Yeah. <laughs> when we uh, can really begin to explore it meaningfully. So folks, we'll take a real quick break. Joshua Berry is my guest today. We're talking about being naive in a very positive sort of a way, in a manner that actually creates ripples of impact. And we'll be right back. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more and to do more. 
Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. And before the break, Joshua had mentioned um, critical thinking. And yeah, I'm a grandparent. I've got four grandkids. Uh, and what that obviously also means is that I'm a parent and I've been you know, connected to the school systems educationally for some time now. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed is compared to when I was in school, and I, you know, comparison is a great place to start. It's a horrible place to end up, but I'm going to start there. We'll see where we end up. Uh, critical thinking was really encouraged when I was going to school. I mean, it was part and parcel of just the curriculum that uh, that that I actually you know was was presented with uh, both in primary and secondary schools, but also at university. Um, not so much today. I don't see critical thinking being something that's held up for people to examine themselves and their 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 worldview as much as here it is just accepted as it is and then kind of go out and run with it in the work that you're doing with this notion of you know being naive and in connecting back to authentic uh self and i'm here looking specifically at uh, return on impact most people are familiar with return on investment but this kind of naivete is a form of an it's a form of an investment in a different way of thinking and being. And one of the things that you said right before we took the break was focusing on employee development at the, at the short-term cost of the organization realizing some of its goals and objectives. So I'd be very interested in having you kind of unbundle that because I tend to agree with you vociferously here, but there are people that are, you know, their, 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 their brains are going, what? <laughs> kind of exploding here. Why would I want to do that if I'm a business leader and I've got quarterly objectives and I've got a, a bank uh, note coming due and uh, margins? Absolutely. So, so the first place that I'll start with it is it is a spectrum, right? It's never binary, right? Do one thing or the other. Uh, hence, we're trying to invite people into critical thinking. 
But maybe to answer it, I'll tell you, uh, again, one of the stories that I highlighted in the book was a, about a division manager in a mid-sized engineering firm. Uh, we were doing some team development and leadership development work uh, with their company. And um, a few weeks after one of those sessions, this manager called me up and said, hey, I, I need a favor from you. One of our top performers, been with us for 20 years, uh, is at a plateau, needs some additional development. Um, do you have any ideas? I'd love to find a mentor for him. As we talked a little bit further, I said, the only person I can think of that would be a good match is actually a guy I know who works for your competitor. <laughs> uh, how would you feel about me introducing him to them? And, and, and this gentleman, Michael, paused for a bit. And he said, I already know he's being recruited by that company too. Uh, he paused again. And after a bit, he said, you know what? I think that's okay. Let's go ahead and uh, make that introduction. And uh, several months later, when I started writing this book, I reached back out to Michael and I asked him uh, about that. And I said, why? Why did you do that? And uh, you heard the soul of, of a great manager there. We, he said, I had a leader who was actually his senior by 15 years. Uh, I had a leader or a uh, top performing contributor here who needed to grow. And I had a couple of options, right? I could connect him with this other person and maybe he actually gets recruited even more and leaves. But at least he'd know that I cared about his growth and development. And uh, at the end of the day, maybe it is actually what was best for him. Or he goes and he learns and he comes back to us. He realizes how great he has it here. And we're actually better for it because he's been able to learn something. Uh, but either way, he said, I, I wasn't doing it blindly or ignorantly about the risks that were in this. I was prioritizing his growth and development over mine, because any time that I was holding my goals for my department or my division tighter than the goals of my people, well, then uh, then I'm probably going to do things that aren't always in their best interest, right? And, you know, the Paul Harvey version of the story, he has one of the best divisions, it's most profitable, best employee engagement, et cetera. And so by playing that longer game and truly prioritizing, for instance, that individual's development over others, it sounds naive or crazy, but it ends up playing out. You know, yeah, Raj Sisodia, a friend of both you and I, wrote a book, co-wrote Conscious Capitalism with John Mackey. Uh, before Raj wrote Conscious Capitalism, he wrote another book. And regular listeners of the show have heard me say this. Uh, the book was called Firms of Endearment, mm -hmm. and it's the best book title I've ever heard. I love the title, Firms of Endearment. Um, but he talks about that, the ROI, literally the ROI on this sort, you know, where love, caring, uh, nurture is, a, is an embedded piece of the culture of the organization. Firms that do this well, you know, employee engagement scores are off the chart. I, I, I had the... Uh, CEO of WD40 on not too long ago, Tom Ridge. And Tom talks about their employee engagement scores. They're 92, 94, 93, 97, 96%. I mean, year after year after year after year, people come first. And it's not just something that they say, they embed it in the culture of what they're doing. So all of this is prefaced to a question for you here around business practices. Yeah, in the book, or just yeah, anecdotally here, it doesn't have to be in the book, but what are some business practices, some new business practices that might be useful for people to you know, begin to implement in their organizations, regardless of the size and scale of the company? 
what would be something that would be uh, akin to kind of low hanging fruit that would have a low barrier to entry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or you're great, barrier to execution. <clears throat> yeah, great questions. Uh, some of them come to mind um, and uh, increasing financial transparency uh, is one. It, it may sound scary and I'm probably starting in one of the scarier spots, but uh, people need information to be able to make decisions. And as you and I know, the best uh, decision making happens often when people who are closest to the decision that needs to be made. Um, and so by being able to create more transparency, um, or again, to the framework I shared before, questioning what your beliefs are that hold you back from it, and what you would gain or you would lose from increased financial transparency uh, would be important. Um, that's definitely one area to look at. Um, I think another area is the low-hanging fruit of experimentation. You know, quite often our company is getting pulled in, and this is what you referenced before for companies, uh, projects at Procter & Gamble or John Deere or U.S. Bank or others. We have teams who are teaching innovation and experimentation to uh, the product and innovation teams. And what we're more or less doing is helping them see that you can't predict the path from A to Z for most of the unknown things you're working on. And so the best thing you can do is realize what are your riskiest assumptions, prioritize those, and then set about uh, with intentional learning to experiment or, or work against those things. And so um, I think those are those are definitely low-hanging fruit. Um, and then maybe the easiest one of all that just popped to mind was as a leader being able to admit, I don't know, and at least questioning yourself on vulnerability, right? Uh, by, by getting to a certain point. I always like, and you mentioned you're in leadership development, Blaine, uh, that idea of a pyramid that you know what got you here won't get you there and there's a certain point where it was your prowess and your competency that got you the next promotions but at some point what you know uh actually should be less and less and it and you have to go back down that pyramid and be the anti-knower if you will or the anti-hero quite often uh to be able to do that and so again start with saying i don't know and being open to the collaboration that comes from that yeah that i mean when I think about how we define leadership in the work that we do, it's about influencing others in order to co-create coordinated movement, that co-creation, the ownership transfer. Yeah. 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 We we connect through vulnerability. We disconnect through certainty. And if a leader is actually being certain about everything, there's no place for people to engage. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I, I think it's a very fair assessment. And and we got to go back to what you had said before about if in education or your first jobs today, we're reinforcing that you have to be certain or right. Uh, that makes yeah. it harder. And so leaders or people, especially who are responsible for culture, have to realize that you're fighting against the societal system. Uh, we call it uh, the addiction to being right. And so some of our work is just work with leadership teams as we help set up uh, new governance structures for innovation uh, with companies. And one of the first things we work on with executives is how do we end your addiction to being right? Um, and But it has to come from good modeling and creating safe spaces for people to, to be okay with saying I'm wrong. Yeah, I, you know, that, that addiction to being right, I think it is a universal human affliction. And yep, most me too. People, <laughs> me too, absolutely. Most people in my experience would rather be right than get what they say they want. And they will take that to the grave. Yeah, yeah. but I was right. <laughs> you get what I, I wanted. Exactly. I was right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hence the framework again uh, that I mentioned before. Where did you learn that thing? Yep. Is it really true? Yep. 
what do you gain and what do you lose from that? And if you can at least start to own that everybody loses something from some firmly held belief that they had, you start to crack the door open to the possibility that you have some learning to do. Beautiful. And that's what, yeah, moving possibility into probability so that it can become a reality. That's the migrational path. So Joshua, thank you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hating to say thank you here because it's indicative that we're Are you running serious? We're done. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I would love to have you back on, uh, and there's a couple of other shows that I'd like to bring you on as well. Uh, and I, you know, one of my partners, David Meltzer, he and I do an office hour series every week, uh, and love to have you on that. And we've also got a couple of TV shows in the works right now. Uh, one of them is called The Soul of Business. It's a long form. Uh, we've got it up on Apple TV, or it's going to be up on Apple TV. Love to have you on that as well. So I'm going to be circling back with your with your team here uh, very shortly. And we'll see what we can do to put, make, make all of that happen. I, uh, honestly, what just came to mind is uh, the Khalil Gibran quote, uh, work is love made visible. And uh, my definition of love is the active concern for the growth and development of another. And uh, I appreciate that expression, Blaine, I, in terms of your gift of that. I, I think you know we can continue to do it. And it's obvious you're doing some amazing work right now that is blessing a lot of people right now. Um, well, so thank you for that. Echo that with the work you're doing. I mean, again, folks, when I when this came across my desk, it's kind of like I can't, I can't not have him on the show. There's too much here that we need to explore and unbundle. So Joshua, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I've greatly appreciated the conversation. And where can folks find out more about what you're up to? Where can they get the book outside of the uh, regular places? But uh, again, the book title um, is you know, something that you're going to want to pick up. Uh, sure. You're going to want to grab this. It's um, dare, dare to be Naive, Thinking Bigger to Create Business Success and Joy. So where can they find out more information about you and the firm and that sort yep. of thing? The, the best place to see it would be the book website, which is daretobenaive.com. Uh, and then I'm most active on LinkedIn. And so you can find me there under Joshua Berry uh, on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you, my friend. Blaine, this was great. I was, this, this went way too fast. I look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. We will make that happen. Um, you've been listening to Joshua Berry. Um, and I am Blaine Bartlett. You are listening to uh, The Soul of Business of Blaine Bartlett. Folks, um, check out our website. Uh, there's a lot of uh, material up there that uh, is available for free. I, you know, probably about 80% of what I've got there is, is downloadable and useful, uh, or at least usable. You, you're the one that determines whether it's useful or not. We'll see what happens here. Um, and in the meantime, um, Go out and be a center of distribution in your life. Don't be a center of accumulation. Focus on giving stuff away. Yeah, just make it work. Make it work. The world needs it. Take care, and we'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.